this morning, I want to ask you probably a question I've asked you before, but I think it's a highly important and practical question. And it's a question that you may know the answer to, but I need to ask and answer this for you today as a, as a reminder and an encouragement, I pray. Here's the question. What is the mission of Christ's church? What is the mission of Christ's church? Now, I ask you this question for two reasons. I ask that question because it will be linked to my sermon next week, which is about the mission of Christ's apostles on the earth. And I also ask the question to help remind you that as a member of the body of Christ, you were saved to be part of Christ's mission on earth. We should never forget that or neglect that. There is no such thing as a Christian on the earth who is not called into that. We're all called into Christ's mission. Now, there can be some who have neglected that calling, and there are some who are uninformed about that calling. But make no mistake, every Christian is called to be a part of Christ's mission. And here's why. His mission on the earth was to reveal his great worth to the world through the witness of the church. That's why we're here. And that's what we're called to do until Christ comes or he takes us home. The Apostle Paul understood that and rejoiced in that. And he gave thanks for what he had seen in the churches he pastored and implanted. And he gave thanks when he heard about the, the things that were happening in the church and through the church in Thessalonica. Just look with me at one of these passages from Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 2. The Apostle Paul is rejoicing here because the church at Thessalonica is active in their mission on the earth. And so he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of to come. The Thessalonians seemed to understand the mission that they were sent on. And the Apostle Paul rejoiced in that. But the question for us as we read that, and we think about the question I pose to you, is this. Why did Paul give thanks for this testimony that we read there in 1 Thessalonians? Well, here's why I think he rejoiced and gave thanks. Because in this passage, you can see that the saints there at Thessalonica, they received God's word and they did so joyfully. Then they took God's word and they shared it personally. And they proclaimed God's word then evangelistically. They were enjoying and engaged in the mission of Christ in the world. And that's what we want to be doing until he comes, or until we go home. So let me ask you another question. What will our testimony be as a church? Will it be the same as the Thessalonians? Well, we would hope so. We desire that, right? That's what we want. But if we want that, we need to understand the answer to the question I posed earlier. What is the mission of the church? If we're going to be active in this mission, engaged in it properly, we need to know what the mission is. Now, here's my simple answer to that question in a I guess you could say a, a formal outline of the sermon. The church is in the world, and you are in this church, to reveal God's worthiness by receiving his word joyfully as it's taught to you. And then by proclaiming his word evangelistically 
and then by revealing God's word in the church personally. In other words, the church is in the world to spread God's fame evangelistically by revealing God's mercy and greatness and love personally in the church. It's through the church that evangelism goes forth. It's through the church missions take place. It's through the church that God's name is lifted up so that we can then go into the world personally. But it starts corporately. Sometimes in our individualistic American society, we think of the church as an individual act. Like, I come, I consume, and then I go home. That's not the calling that we've been given in our mission. We're called to gather together so that we can go forth in the power of the Spirit, united in the truth, and globally then reach the lost and disciple those in need. That's why we're here. That's why you and I are here and left here after we were converted. We were left here after we were converted so that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is every Christian's mission. That's why you exist. That's why this church is here at this time and in this place. Now, I think you would all agree with that. I think you all understand that. But I also know that some of you may be asking a question in return to that. A question such as, if, if that is the Christian mission, then where do I fit in? Where do I fit in because I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a deacon, I'm not a worship team member, I'm just a member. And with that thought, you might even be tempted to think something else. Because you don't see yourself being an active part contributing actively serving in a, in a public way, you might even be tempted to think that your role in the church is so small and so unclear that you're not needed here at all. And I'm here to tell you different. I'm here to tell you different. You are needed and essential to Christ's mission on the earth through this church. Now, I know there's some here who have felt this way. I've, I've actually heard from them in the past. Been here long enough to see all this happen in the past. Hopefully we don't see it continue to happen in the future. But I've seen some who feel very discouraged in their position in the church, that they don't know where they fit. They don't know how to serve. They just kind of show up. They don't know what the purpose is in that. And I know some people in particular think that at times. Some worthy servants think that. I know that at times moms think that. They feel that way at times because <laughs> it seems that from the time they walk in the door all they do is wrestle with those babies the entire time they're here. Or they end up in the nursery wondering, is it really worth all the trouble just to sit back here? Because I feel disconnected. I feel like I'm unable to contribute to God's mission in our church. So if that's you and if that's been you, let me say something to all you dear moms and ladies here today. You are all an essential part of this church. You're essential to the mission of this church in the world. We need you. Ladies, when you faithfully serve and use your spiritual gifts within your God-given role by, by loving your husband and by caring for your kids and half a million other kids we have in our church, right? And you, you edify other women, what you're doing is you're, you're doing something that's a part of this mission that equips us for it and encourages us in it. You are revealing to us when you do this, when you sacrifice for our sake and for these kids and for the husband's sake. You're revealing to us a living example of Christ's sacrificial love. And I want you to know that. And I want you to know that that love, in turn, then edifies your entire church family. Because what it's doing is it's helping us to see the, the magnificent worth of God's love and his worthiness displayed through your acts of service. And listen, I know it's hard. I know that at times, moms, you feel like that your service here and your dedication at home seems to go unrewarded. But I want you to know it's greatly appreciated. We need to tell you that more often. I know I can say that, but at the same time, I know you're thinking, yeah, you say that, Randy, but um, it doesn't feel appreciated sometimes. Well, let me just encourage you in this. It's going to take some time, okay? It's going to take some time. But I believe that the Lord will bring forth fruit 
from all of your labors. I want you to know you don't need to grow weary in doing good. In due season, our church family will reap a great harvest of strength and grace from your sacrificial witness if you don't give up. Keep on, ladies. You're doing the work of the mission that we're called into as a church. I know there's some dads that can feel this way at times, too. Some of the guys here aren't really sure how they can serve or contribute to the mission of the church. Again, they're not maybe in leadership or in a public ministry. Well, let me tell you a way that you can do that, guys. I'm going to tell you how you are doing that, guys. Here's how you do that. When you lead your family to church, you're doing that. You're contributing to the mission of the church. And when you faithfully disciple these children in your home and your wife... You're you're providing grace to that family that in turn provides grace to us. You're you're providing a living for these kids and this wife of yours. That's a grace that helps equip us and equip them to do their work. Let me tell you another way that you are contributing to this ministry and how it will bless your wife and family if you follow what I'm going to say. If you want to be a part of the ministry of this church, then you need to help your wife. Help her discipline your kids during the service. Care for them. Hold them. Change their diapers. Why? So that every once in a while she can hear a sermon. And every once in a while she can actually have fellowship with others after the service is over. That's really a big part of your service, men, in God's mission here in our church. And when you do this, let me tell you why this is important. When you do this, here's what you're doing. You're illustrating something to us just like your wives, just like the moms do. Here's what you're illustrating. You're illustrating Christ's love for his bride, his sacrificial love. And what you're also doing is you're setting a godly example for other men to follow. We don't need macho men. We need godly men, men who will care for their wife and children and serve them as Christ gave up his life to serve the church, his bride. So that encompasses two groups of people who might not understand their mission in the church. And so let me just kind of lump everybody together. If you're a mom or a dad or a single person or a married couple, if you're young or if you're old, I want you to know today and understand that your faithful participation and your contribution here is crucial to our work. And I know it's crucial because I know this for certain, without a doubt, God placed you in our church on purpose. Paul tells us that God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So now let me tell you what God placed you to do here in particular as members of this body. I'm going to do that by going back to the three points I gave you earlier. The church, to answer the question, the church is in the world and you are placed in this church to reveal God's great worth. And here's how you're to do that. By number one, Receiving God's word joyfully, just like the saints did in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Turn there with me. Here in 2.13, Paul writes, And we also, adding to the thankfulness he gave earlier, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, The word of God, which is at work in you believers. They joyfully responded to the word that they heard from the Lord through the Apostle Paul, through those teachers there among them. And they needed that to fuel them, to encourage them, to direct them, to instruct them. It's obvious that if we're going to fulfill a mission, we need to have some directions, right? We can't fulfill God's mission on the earth without submission to his directions. That's why receiving God's word, being here to hear it corporately, is crucial, critical to our mission. Without this, you will not understand how you can and should disciple others. Because here what's happening is in a corporate way, we are discipling you at one time. Through the preaching and teaching of God's word. And what you're going to do is then replicate that in a personal way when you leave this place. But you need to be here to be discipled corporately. Because that's what's going to equip you to go out into the world on a personal level. Look with me at Ephesians 4 to see how important this is. Ephesians 4. We're going to be in a lot of places. We're going to centrally come back to Thessalonians. But in Ephesians 
4, look at verse 11, 11 to 16. So in equipping the church to be on mission, God gave us gifts, gave us particular gifts that are associated and directed by God's word. It says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. I didn't say and because it's a hyphen there. Okay, that's what it is. The shepherd teachers. Here's why God gave this gift to the church, these gifts to the church. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth, the truth from the word that was taught, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Church, we can't do that. You can't do that on your own. You, you rob yourself of God's gift to you to protect you from error and to prepare you for ministry when you neglect this corporate gathering. Now, I'm speaking to the choir. You're all here. But this is good to remember because sometimes you don't like the sermons we preach and you don't want to come back next week. Might be the case next week with this, but... I really believe that God is intended to give us his word and, and, and to equip us for the work that we're called into. But he wants us to go into it joyfully, knowing he has provided for us instruction from his infallible word. That's what helps us to be able to, to declare his worthiness. And when we declare his worthiness, as we sit united together under his authoritative, infallible, inerrant, inspired, all-sufficient word... He then, in turn, through that means of grace, then unites us together in the love of Christ. And when we, when we are united that way corporately, we are then not only being discipled by the preachers and teachers, we're being discipled and equipped for our mission in the Word of God by God Himself. He is addressing you. When the Word of God is rightly divided, accurately proclaimed, it is God who speaks, not man. That should make you joyful. That's what we attempt to do through faithful preaching of God's word every week. We want to do that because what the preaching of God's word does is it reveals God to us. So we can rejoice in his worthiness, in his greatness. And then on top of that, it then equips us to go out into the world as his evangelists, as his missionaries, as his ambassadors. But it doesn't simply just equip us to go out there grudgingly. When you look at the accounts in the New Testament of the epistles and the churches that were being addressed in these letters, typically what you see is they went out confidently. Confidence was built by the word. They went out joyfully as a response to the truth of the word. And they went out worshipfully to exalt the God of the word. That's what happens to prepare us for our mission. We first come here and in submission we set under Christ. We set at his feet. As he speaks to us through his word. That's really the mission. If I can break it down further. That's the mission of all your elders here. It's our mission to clearly proclaim God's word to you. And equip you so that you can go into the world confidently, joyfully, and worshipfully. And make disciples and evangelize the lost. With absolute confidence that God's word does the work. Look at Romans 1. This is our confidence as we submit under the word of God, as it is proclaimed, be prepared to go out to the world joyfully. Here's why we can go joyfully. 116, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Within the gospel lies the inherent power of God. That is what penetrates the heart of the hardened unbeliever. The glorious good news of Jesus' life, he incarnated himself, came to earth, lived a righteous life in our place, died our death in our place, received the punishment we deserved on the cross, and then rose victoriously over death and sin and Satan to give us the assurance of our justification in God's sight. There's power in that message. It will melt the hardest 
heart. It will open blind eyes. It will open deaf ears. That's why we come here. And we should rejoice as we do because in coming here, we are being spoken to, addressed by, encouraged by God himself. That's the goal of the preacher, is to point you to God as we preach his word. It is God who makes the church able to go into the mission of Christ. And he does so through his word. God wants us to be faithful in that ministry so we can equip you so that you can go forth and reveal that worthy God that saves you and calls you into this mission. See, our our mission as pastors is to make disciples, disciples of Christ. And in turn, we end up making disciple makers as well. Because the word of God takes hold of the believer's heart. And like I said, there's no... uh, No Christian who's not in the mission. If you've been saved, you're saved for this purpose. And when you hear the truth of the gospel, this is your privilege. This is your honor to be his ambassador and proclaim it. Therefore, you will be a disciple maker as you are being discipled. That's the purpose of our preaching and our discipleship. The ultimate purpose for all this is to lead you to worship Christ as Lord. Look at 1 Peter. That's what Peter tells us we are to do. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Saints, we we equip you so that you can do this, so that you can recognize the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and sanctify your hearts in him, honoring him. And in turn, you will always be prepared to give a reason for that hope that lies within you because of him. And you'll want to tell it to others as a result so that they would worship him, give him praise for his great worthiness. See, our our desire in equipping and teaching and preaching is not to help you win theological or philosophical arguments. You might be able to do that as a result, but that's not the goal. That's not the desire, the main purpose, the telos, the end. We, we, We gather here weekly with you to help you learn To do what Peter says, to sanctify Christ in your heart and honor him as Lord of your life. And here's why. So that you'll be eager to go out and declare his worthiness through evangelism and through discipleship. He is worthy of worship. That's what we sing. That's what we're called to do. That's our mission. And our mission exists as long as the worship of Christ doesn't exist. That's how long we're to continue on in our mission until all the people, every knee and every tongue, bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Now, that leads me to my second point. The church is in the world and you are in the church to reveal God's worthiness, his great worth by proclaiming, not just hearing and learning it and being equipped by it, but by proclaiming his word evangelistically, just like the saints did back there in 1 Thessalonians 4 to 10. Remember, they they were faithfully proclaiming God's word by, by joyfully sharing what they had learned from the apostles with others. Those locally, Macedonia and Achaia, and then broadly throughout the whole region. And that's what we want for you. That's why we want to equip you. We want to equip you to do that. And, and I pray that as you you are faithfully growing under the preaching and teaching of God's word, that you're growing in the knowledge of Christ. And as a result, you're going to be motivated to do this, to proclaim his word evangelistically and joyfully, just as the Thessalonians did. Notice that when we read that, there's there's like this sense of joy that overflows. They're, They're doing this out of awe that they were saved by this message. And so in that regard, it is an act of worship. They're just simply passing on the good news they received by God's grace and saying, look, there's hope for sinners. Jesus, the son of God, the savior, he came, he died, he rose again. He has accomplished redemption. I trust in him. And look what happens. My life is transformed. I've been set free. My sins are forgiven. That's an act of worship when we express it that way. That's what they're doing. That's what we're called to do in the proclamation of the word evangelistically. Just just think of evangelism as an extension of a worship service. You're getting to share with somebody the good news that you praise God about every day as a Christian. And I pray as you do that, I pray as you you talk to a lost person, as you engage with someone who is rebellious and 
at enmity with God, I pray that you will feel tenderness toward them because you were once one of them. Such were some of you, liars, thieves, homosexuals, sexually immoral. But God set you free. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been called into a, a holy service. And I hope you have compassion for those you're called to go into with the gospel and share this truth. So I pray that as you grow in this, you feel somewhat what Spurgeon felt when he spoke of reaching out to the lost. Here's what he said. Spurgeon said, by the love and wounds and death of Christ, by your own salvation, by your indebtedness to Jesus, by the terrible condition of the heathen and by that awful hell whose yawning mouth is before them. Ought you not to say, here am I, send me? Listen, saints, you will feel that way if you understand the worthiness of the one who saves you. You will will say, send me so someone else will know you and worship you and exalt you, for you are worthy of all praise and adoration. That's what we're called to do. And when you consider who it is we're called to proclaim and what he's done to redeem us from our sins, how can we be quiet how can we hold it back? Just, just look at what he did in a simple form here. The simplest way I could point you to it in the scriptures quickly. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. Look what this Savior that we're called to go out and proclaim through his word did. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's made you a new creation. He's redeemed you. He's, he's taken away that old heart of stone. The old has passed away. He's given you a heart of flesh. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Listen, you were passive in this. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God granted it to you out of his mercy. And earlier, Paul writes, the love of Christ controls us. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's what drove his evangelism, his proclamation of God's word. He says, all this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ, here's what happened. He reconciled us. He took away the enmity by receiving the wrath of God in our place. He reconciled us to God, to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, when you get to verse 20, I think that Paul is excited. Therefore, wow. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Here's why. For our sake, he, God the Father, made God the Son to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. How, how can we sit on that? How can we not worshipfully, worshipfully proclaim that good news of Christ's work and his eternal worth? How can we be quiet about it? We can't because we were saved and called into a mission to declare it. If you're a Christian, this is not an option. You are called to proclaim this message. And I would hope we would do it joyfully as we learn this message from his word as it's taught to us corporately. Look at what we're called to do. In second or in first Peter, rather, first Peter, first Peter two, first Peter two and verse nine. Uh, I can't stop at verse nine. But you are a chosen race, chosen family, spiritual family, a royal priesthood, a commissioned by God priesthood, a holy nation, a consecrated ethnos people group. You're a people, he says, for his own possession. God has encircled you with his love that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, go out evangelistically. Look who you are now in Christ. You're a privileged people. A mercied people. We're mercied missionaries. We were once not a people. We were under God's wrath, but now we're God's people. As as a result of that, he's saying, look, that's why I saved you, so that you could go proclaim this. 
So go proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we're called to do. That's our mission. We're called to worshipfully proclaim this news. Declare it boldly, joyfully, confidently. And so in saying that, I want you to understand this this part of our mission is not limited to pastors, preachers, and street evangelists. This is your part, every one of you, if you're a Christian. So, so moms, dads, singles, married folk, this is where you fit into God's mission. You don't have to be a pastor to do this, to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One thing you should know, you as church members... You'll probably reach people that we as pastors here will never reach. I know you will. You may never preach or teach to a large group of people here, but, but you may be the very one that God has ordained to bring the hope of the gospel to someone who would never step foot in this place. That's your privilege. That's your honor. You are Christ's ambassadors. That's your calling in this mission. And every one of you can do it because you are witnesses. Martyrs, you are witnesses of the work of Christ. You've experienced the grace of God through Christ. You've experienced the new creation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation. So understand this. When we talk about the mission of the church and your place in it, here's what you need to keep in mind. Remember that God has bestowed on you all the greatest blessing you could ever imagine in giving you the gospel of his son. You have the greatest blessing in the world. You are Christ's ambassadors. And you have his word that will lead you and guide you with confidence and joy as you go out evangelistically. So just remember that. You're not alone. This is part of the corporate work that works its way down into your daily life. This is your part of the mission. It's like your missionaries in your homes, in your workplace, in your retirement. In your school, rejoice in that. Rejoice in that because the power of God has been given to you in his word. And you can carry it with you wherever you go. You carry the the dunamis of God's good news inside of you. Each one of you carry this. You carry the life-giving words of Christ. And the reason is not so you can build a great theological library in your heart, but so you can share it with others who are destitute and in need of grace. So when you think about your privilege and your honor and your calling in this mission, I hope you never think again that you're not important in God's mission through our church. As you're being equipped, you're going forth into places we cannot go. So don't ever think you're unimportant in the service of our church to reach the lost and proclaim the excellencies of God. You are all witnesses of his work. You are faithful witnesses. And, and your faithful witness and your fellowship here in turn will then encourage others in the church to go out and follow your example. I just want you to know that this is not a rebuke. A sermon is not a rebuke. It's meant to be an encouragement. I don't think any of you are neglecting these things. I do think that we all need to be provoked, prodded, if you will, like with a sharp stick, the writer of Hebrews tells us, poked along the way to excel still more in this, certainly. But I want you to know pastorally, personally, your faithfulness and your witness as a Christian here through our church and what we see happening, I want you to know that it is certainly encouraging to all your pastors. You are an encouragement to us. And let me tell you, sometimes we really need that. I mean, believe it or not, Sometimes pastors get discouraged in their labor of love. I'm sure that never happens to anybody else, right? Sometimes, though, in our labor of love, we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders. We, we feel the weight of the sin that so easily besets you, and we want to relieve you of that. Spurgeon put it like this. This is a good summation of why we need you in this mission. He writes, who can bear the weight of of souls without sometimes sinking into the dust. Good men are promised tribulation in this world, and ministers may expect a larger share than others, that they may learn sympathy 
with the Lord's suffering people, and so may be fitting shepherds of an ailing flock. Church, we feel like that from time to time. But let me tell you, when we see and hear and witness your faithfulness to Christ, the way you seek to serve others in our church family, and the way you go about witnessing to the lost, when that happens at that point, your lives then become (laughs) treasures to us, pastoral treasures that give us hope and fuel us in our mission in this church. It does that because you are reminding us by the evidence of God's grace at work in your life, you're reminding us that our work is not in vain. And in that way, you remind us of the saints there in Thessalonica. Let me go to the third point and conclude here. The church is in the world, and you are in this church to reveal Christ's worthiness by revealing God's word personally, just like the saints did in 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Then it gets really personal here. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, encourage you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, so that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Saints, in reading that, that portion of Scripture there, I think you ought to see and understand that what he's telling the church there at Thessalonica is, this is part of your mission. And without you applying this in a personal way, this mission will be stunted. This mission cannot continue faithfully. And so I want you to know this, that you, your personal encouragement in this church, as you reveal the work of God through his word changing your life, as you do that by, by showing love, compassion, mercy, and grace to those among us, that work is essential to our mission in the world. We need each other to accomplish the mission God has called us into. We all need this kind of personal interaction that we see taking place by these commands in Thessalonians. We need personal edification as well. We need that to help strengthen us in this work as we go into the world. And here's why. Here's why this is so important. Here here in our local church, here's what's supposed to be happening. The word is supposed to be at work in us, through us, and among us. Here we are being knit together as we set under the love of Christ as it's proclaimed to us in the word. We're knit together in that way in the love of Christ. And as we then grow in that truth corporately, we begin to then live it out in a personal way here in this church family. And I want to say Thank you for being a faithful witness of that, for you are. But again, we can excel still more. And sometimes we have to. There are sometimes that it's easier to bear one another or with one another than others. But you need to be thinking about this missionally. See, if, if we let a weak believer wander, waver, struggle, because because we just simply don't want to deal with this person or this situation. We are neglecting our mission. The church is to be united. United in love. United in word and power. To go forth in the victory of Christ. And proclaim the gospel. Therefore, if someone is weak among us, we are to lift them up. We can't do the work without them. Don't think you can. The work of the body of Christ... It is to remain a testimony to his power and his grace. And it will not and cannot if we're not bearing one another's burdens. If we're not helping one another. Especially when it's not easy. Look look at Colossians. I know that Caleb preached through this recently. But go back there with me. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Beginning in verse 12. I always love this section because, you know, it's, it's very practical. I mean, when you when you when you start in verse 10, he talks about putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then in verse 12, he gets very particular. Now, now I happen to 
think, after pastoring for quite a few years. He's particular because these were particular problems they were having at Colossae, or at least potential ones. Listen, I'm sure none of you married people ever argue with each other, right? I mean, life is peaceful. You never have disagreements. Everybody gets along, right? Is that the way it is? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, so yeah, that's the truth, right? Nobody experiences that. Because you're sinners. Because you have selfish tendencies that need to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Therefore, you rub each other wrong sometimes in a marriage. The same thing happens in a church. That's why we need these commands. Look what it says. Put on then as God's chosen one. So he starts off, I love Paul, because Paul is always the commending guy at first, right? He's like, remember who you are. Out of this great imperative flows indicatives, right? You know, look at this. Uh, or indicative flows the imperatives, rather. Look at this. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. That's really where it begins. If you belong to Christ and you're in the body of Christ and the mission of Christ, then put on compassionate hearts. Why? Because sometimes we're not compassionate enough. That's why we're having to be commanded to do this. Put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience, bear with one another. Why would he say that if they didn't have a struggle with it? And if anyone has a complaint, somebody's complaining at Colossae. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ umpire or rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And here's how that takes place, by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, giving ample room for teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, that's everything, folks, right? Everything. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These commands, when you read this, in a normal context of a local church, you need to understand that these these commands imply close personal interaction. They imply that the gospel then needs to be put into action in the church. It needs to be revealed in us personally to fulfill the mission we're called into corporately. And here's why that interaction, here's what it does. Personal, loving, biblical interaction and even confrontation It reveals something important to our mission. It reveals the power of Christ's love at work in us. And that is the goal, right? To exalt Christ. That's the goal of our mission. So if we want to be effective in our mission, this is what we have to do. We have to put our love for Christ and each other into action in a practical way. Let me me explain something to you in this because I'm not trying to say... Come spill all your detailed facts on each other and, you know, just kind of vomit all your dirt on each other. I'm not saying that, but there needs to be a degree of accountability and transparency between us as believers in Christ in this local church. You you need to be close enough to one another to know how to even carry one another's burdens. And, And you need to be in that closeness, able to share your, your fears, your failures, your doubts, your scars with each other. And do so openly without fear of condemnation. And as you do that, you should find from your brother or sister in Christ, you should find genuine comfort and a loving corrective. But never condemnation. For such were some of you, right? You should never bring condemnation on someone even when their fears... And their failures and their doubts and their scars are self-inflicted wounds. It's easy to say, I told you, told you so. What's harder to do is say, I'm here for you. Let me help you walk through this. Yes, we talked about it. Yes, I warned you. But you know what? I'm not going to abandon you because Christ never abandons me in my weakness. He's with me in the fire. So you need to be able to do that. You need to stay close enough also to each other so that you can rejoice when Christ grants victory over sin in their lives. You need to also be close enough 
that you're not just looking for the flaws and the failures and the doubt and the scars, but you're actually seeing the evidences of God's grace at work in their lives. And you should tell them that we need that. We need edification, godly biblical edification. That's how you reveal the power of God's word in a personal way. You say, I see what God has done to transform you. I remember where you were last month. I remember where you were last year. But look at what God has brought you through. Look at what you've learned. But to do that, we have to be close to one another relationally. I think that is essential for our mission. And I say that I think it's essential because... That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that our love for one another will testify to the world that we are truly his disciples. One last passage, John 13 and verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, by this love you have for one another, the love of Christ, by this, all people will know that you are my mothetes, my disciples, my learners. Because they put it into practice. They didn't just gather as head knowledge. They put it into practice because it says if you love one another, if you have love for one another, you're putting into practice the love of Christ you've received. And in that, the world says there's something different about those people. And they come and ask you about the hope that lies within you as a result. And Christ is praised. For he is the source of your love. He is the source of your sanctification. He is the source of your strength in this mission. And our love displays that. Our love displays how much Jesus is worth to us. Our love for one another displays that. And that's why we're here in the world. That's why the church is gathered corporately. That's why we're not a bunch of Lone Ranger Christians who meet underneath a tree on Sunday instead of with the saints of God here corporately. We, we are to display. And you can't display love if you don't actually display forgiveness and grace to those who are weaker than you in the faith. So it takes patience. It's almost as if it takes the love of Christ to do this. Because it does. But you've been given that. The love of God has been poured out in your hearts richly. You have all the love you ever need in Christ. You just need to, you need to cultivate that love practically and personally. And, and this is why it's important that we do that. Because I know this. What happened in Geneva, what happened in Scotland after these great reformations is the church grew cold and dead because they didn't put these things into practice. They neglected the word being taught. They neglected evangelism, and they neglected love for one another as a result. And the church died. And don't think it won't happen here in America. It will. If, if when we gather weekly to be equipped, we do so physically, but not spiritually. If we, we gather weekly to be equipped, but our hearts aren't here. That our hearts aren't actually knit together in Christ's love, looking out for the needs of others, counting their needs as more significant than ours, than our own. If we're not knit together in his love, here's what will happen. We'll become all head and no heart. That's a monstrosity. That's a dysfunctional body. It's a useless body. It was a time that the Lord wrote Ichabod over a place. The spirit has departed. God is no longer with them. That's happened in many Reformed churches in history because the Spirit of Christ was not among them. And if that that ever happens, we'll never be able to fulfill the ministry that we're called into, the ultimate work by which we are saved to, to exalt Christ in the world. We want to reveal his work and his word, but we do so through our personal lives as well as we carry forth his love as a result of what we learn. That's how his worth is proclaimed, not only in the church, but to the world through the church. That's what God designed the church to do. We're designed to be a united body. I told you one more verse. I'm sorry. I didn't lie. I forgot. Romans. There's a difference. I'm over 50. There is a difference. Romans. Listen to this. This is important. Romans 15, beginning in verse 5. God designed the church to reveal the power of Christ's work in our lives personally and reveal his worth to the world as a result corporately. 
Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together no such thing as an independent missionary in the Christian church. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Church, our mission is to glorify God's great worthiness and do it joyfully. But here we learn, do it corporately in unity with one voice. And saints, we can't do that as a church without you and your personal encouragement, your personal fellowship. That's why I want to tell you this morning that each one of you are an essential part of this mission that God has sent us out to do as a church. You are an, you're essential to this church's mission, not only here in Ada, but throughout the world. We are able, by God's grace, through, through missionaries who are sent from churches to partner with them. And through your love and your contribution and your care, we are now being a part of the work that's going on around the world. And listen, here's what I can tell you with great confidence today. We will continue to see that happen as we continue to have a love for God's word a love for the lost, and a love for one another in the church. If we do that, we will fulfill our mission on earth as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's give thanks for that hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope and this privilege that you have called us into. We are certainly not sufficient to do this in and of ourselves. Our sufficiency comes from Christ. Our reliance is upon your grace And our hope and strength is in the way in which you have united us in your love to testify to the world with one voice that you, Jesus, are Lord of our church, Lord of our lives, and Lord of our work. Let us go forth in your victory, in your power, to give you praise and bring worship to your name. I pray that today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.